0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sachs' Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. Today, I'm pleased to have a wonderful panel of guests as part of our Sachs' History Project series. These episodes are included in the Essay Today podcast as a chance to honor and reflect on the past, capture important voices and perspectives, and to connect where we have come from to where we are today, and help us chart the future of our organization. Thank you, everyone, for joining the podcast. Before we get into work and career, if you would each tell listeners a little bit about who you are outside of work, hobbies, things you're reading, watching, listening to, whatever you would like to share. And Ellen, if you wouldn't mind starting.
1: Oh,
2: hi, and thank you, and uh, thank you for having me back. Uh, so, uh, outside of work, well, I have, um, a rescue dog that, uh, it, it is a centerpiece in what I do outside of work, whether that is, um, looking for places to walk or trails or just the trouble that he can get into on a daily basis. Um, but for me outside of work, mornings are my time. That's when I, uh, work out, have my time, um, Things I'm reading, I just uh, actually listened to on airplane airplane, Dear America, by one of our um, board members, Jose uh, Vargas, and it is uh, his story of being an undocumented child in this country, and I will say, I couldn't recommend it more to whoever is listening and to everyone on this podcast. It is um, just an amazing journey, um, and he's going to open a Broadway play, Undocumented, uh, this summer, so... Uh, that that's just a plug, I guess, that he wasn't expecting this fine morning. But uh, I know we've got a lot on deck this fine morning, so I'm going to uh, pass the baton to whoever's next.
0: All right. Melissa, what would you like to share?
3: Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be amongst such amazing professionals and, and friends. Um, who am I outside of work? I would probably describe myself first as a college athletics enthusiast. Um, I love nothing more than being um, on and near any court or field um, supporting our student-athletes Um, gives me a lot of joy and and fills my bucket in in lots of ways. I was a broadcast journalism major and worked in television for a year as a sportscaster. So it allows me to still leverage kind of what I think is my knowledge and skills or in the athletic space um, by doing that, though, in support of of student college athletes, which is always fun. Um, I'm very much uh, family oriented. I have two amazing nephews. Um, who I just absolutely adore, um, a mom and a sister who I spend a lot of time with, even though I have to travel to Georgia to do it. Um, they are really the center of, of my world. Um, I am now reading um, together, which is by the 19th Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy. And I heard him at a um, panel on a panel discussion, for presidents of institutions across the country, um, where we were there to talk about um, health and well-being for students and what are some of the things that we need to do. And his statement about the impact of loneliness um, as really being sort of the, the baseline for what we're seeing relative to anxiety and depression was really um, not necessarily shocking to me, but when I think he framed it as sort of the next pandemic, it reminded me of how significant the role is that we have in student affairs and that sometimes we can overthink what the issues are that our students may be facing and something as important and as impactful as loneliness can certainly impact student success. So I'm really finding that book to be interesting and inspiring. And we're actually reading that book together as a student life um, directors team to really help us think about what interventions or strategies can we infuse into our work to try and address issues of, of loneliness here on our campus. So. Just a little bit about what I'm reading, but but also the things that are really important to
0: me outside of work. Great. Thank you so much. Deb, what about you?
4: So there really will be a dichotomy between what Melissa has been reading, which is very important stuff, and what I have been reading, which is kids' books for my four grandchildren who are under the age of seven. So the the reading that we do for that is quite a bit different, still enjoyable. Maybe not quite as important other than allows me to have good time with my uh, with my grandchildren. Um, in my spare time, I also um, like to craft, like to go to thrift stores and find those special treasures that are there, like to upcycle furniture. Um, so just a variety of things that allows me to use some of my creativity.
5: Wonderful. Thank you. Tony, what about you? Uh, yeah, um, you know, for me, outside of work, I think of a lot of things that matter. Uh, I love uh, travel love to read, Um, spend an awful lot of time uh, making cards. That's my new obsession, is making personalized cards for people and uh, surprising them with a card occasionally. Uh, So that gives me great stress relief and enjoy that very much. So um, my my partner and I have been together about 30 years. So we spend quite a bit of time together, too, and are celebrating this summer by going to California and doing an Alaskan cruise. So I'm excited about that. Wonderful. What I'm reading, the book I'm reading at the moment, I don't know what I think about it, uh, but it's called Leadership Matters, Confronting the Hard Choices Facing Higher Ed. It's by two former college presidents who sort of discuss how institutions need to adapt to the social and economic and political changes that are impacting us in higher ed. It's caused me to think way more than I like to think, um, which I guess is a good book. So I'm about halfway through it. So I'll let you know when I get to the rest of it. Great. Kristen.
1: Hey, everyone. Uh, Great to be with you and great to be amongst this group. Um, In terms of who I am outside of work, um, enjoy cooking. Can't say it's like this natural gift or anything, but enjoy trying new recipes. And I'm actually in a recipe text exchange group with a couple uh, family members, which is really fun to be able to try out some new things and Um, kind of de-stress after the day and, you know, with some good TV or music on in the background. Love visiting family. They live far away from uh, where my partner and I live. Um, So love being able to engage with them and travel and, and catch up. But thanks to technology, you know, you can be more part of each other's daily lives. Um, I totally agree with Melissa yay for college athletics. Um, if you're viewing this, it's the NFL draft day. So you'll know ahead of when all of us know how that goes. Um, but it's been really enjoyable. Um, I was raised on NFL football, but in coming to Clemson, learned that it's not exactly the same in terms of rules as college football. So um, have enjoyed that um, and also learning a little bit more about golf um, through uh, my husband's uh, love of that game. So that's really enjoyable for a good nap on a Sunday afternoon. Um, in terms of what I'm reading, I'm reading two things right now. Um, the first one that's the good deep stuff is actually inspired by Saxa, um, the author Ainsley Carey. Was a speaker um, at our last conference and got that book and for our region most likely your institution is listed in this book um, because it's about uh the disputed monuments honorees and symbols on campus so very much of an important topic for all of us so very much enjoying that and then enjoying this book called book lovers that my sister actually gave me for christmas so finally Um, breaking into this one. So a little bit of a a chick lit, you know, type of genre. So that's kind of what I'm reading right now.
0: All right. Well, thank you all for that. Um, Now that we know a little bit about who you are as human beings, let's talk a little bit about your work and your um, attraction to and journey through student affairs. And Melissa, if you would start us off this time. This is such a fun story.
3: I I sort of alluded to it earlier that I um, was a communication arts broadcast journalism major um, at Georgia Southern University. And so my dream was to work at SportsCenter. This is similar to that, but different 27 years later. Um, uh, This was not the the path that I intended, but I think it was the path that was chosen Mm -hmm. for me. um, And I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, As a first-generation college graduate, there were quite a few people at Georgia Southern who really helped me in terms of shaping my identity, finding pride in my identity as a Black woman, um, and also being supportive of this first-generation person who had no idea how to navigate A college experience um, by making me feel just like everybody else. I was capable to do it and um, was able to to graduate um, from Georgia Southern. Um, As a communication arts broadcast journalism major, I wasn't really sure about what else you can do with that uh, degree other than work in television. Um, What happened for me, though, is that I was able to parlay what I learned through that academic program and certainly some of the Um, experiential learning opportunities and working um, at a at a TV station that I would have the opportunity to leverage my skills in admissions. So I started out in student affairs and admissions and, and worked in um, various other roles in, in student affairs before I honestly even knew that I was working in student affairs. Um, positions at Georgia Southern and then at Clemson in 2000, which is actually where I first joined SACSA. Um, so, so lots of, lots of fun history there. Um, as a first-generation college student, um, I had no interest in getting a master's degree. I was thrilled to have one that felt like enough, that was appropriate. Um, I had a job. Why did I need to do anything else? And then Melanie McClellan and Tony Cawthon said, you do and you will. And I did because you don't tell either of them no um, one because they're wonderful humans, but and much smarter than me for sure. Um, and I started working on my master's at, at Clemson in the student affairs, but it was guidance and counseling services at the time um from from Clemson um and then working at Clemson for six years and then landed a position at the University of Georgia as director of intercultural affairs, which another wise woman there said, you yeah, know, you have to get a PhD. And I was annoyed by that um, because that didn't feel appropriate or necessary. That's silly. Um, but you also don't tell Diane Cooper, no. So I pursued a PhD at the University of Georgia, and then landed a position at the University of Tennessee as an assistant vice chancellor and then associate vice chancellor and dean of students, and then landed my first vice presidency in 2017 at the University of Iowa. Um, I have been at Ohio State since 2020, January of 2020, where I serve as the Senior Vice President for Student Life. Um, We have about 40 departments. I have 1,100 full-time staff and 4,000 student employees um, with almost 50 residence halls and 30 different recreational facilities. We have 65,000 students and five regional campuses. So it's a small place. (laughs) <laughs> no problem navigating all the different pieces and, and people. Um, but, but that's been my 27 Tonys, 27 years in student affairs, which is wild to me, but one of the best rides
0: of my entire life. For sure. Thank you so much for that. Deb, how about you? What's your story? Well, well, Melissa,
4: I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> um, So uh, like many people who go into higher education, um, I was first introduced to the idea when I was involved um, and during my undergraduate experience in campus life and governance and things like that. Um, And I ended up um, getting a degree in business as an undergraduate, not knowing what I was going to do with it. And my roommate said, I'm going into the counselor education program. Why don't you come to that too? And so I did. And that was my entree. I tell students don't plan the way I did because it it was happenstance. It worked out well for me, but it wasn't because of great planning on my part. Um, I thought I was going to be a college counselor. That's what the program was really about. But as I got into it, I decided I didn't want to spend, you know, every day doing counseling appointments you know, constantly and that I really enjoyed a lot of other aspects of student affairs. So my first job um, out of grad school um, was at a very small institution, Ohio University, Lancaster. Um, which had about 1,500 students, and I got to do everything. It was small, and I when I was in charge of the scholarship um, program, the uh, high school recruiting, the advisor to the student government, and the student newspaper. In charge of the babysitting service, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I just got to have um, exposure to a whole bunch of different areas. Um, Three and a half years after that, I was able to get a position at another campus of Ohio University as the director of student services, and I got my first supervisory experience as a professional, supervising, I think, two and a half people at that time. Um, And in the meantime, I had gotten married, um, and I started a PhD program, which required that uh, it was for full-time professionals, but I had to drive an hour and a half every weekend down to Athens, Ohio, for three years to complete the program and then do the dissertation afterwards. In the meantime, I had gotten married and had two children. Um, And so I have a saint for a husband, if you couldn't figure that out, because he supported me throughout all of that um, experience. Once I completed the PhD in higher education administration, I was fortunate to get the job as the um, senior student affairs officer at USC Aiken. Um, And in that role, I had like 50 folks in my division, which was a big step from Two and a half people and so it was a great um, learning experience for me um, you know certainly took me a year or so to kind of um, figure out what the heck i was doing um, but it ended up being a wonderful um, opportunity i was there for 25 years in that role got to see and i hope helped create um, a number of programs that had not been exi- in existence before and really had wonderful experiences and then about four and a half years ago Um, I thought 25 years was probably good in that role. And my children were having children and they both ended up in the same area um, of the state. And so my husband and I decided that we would move up to be closer to them. And so um, I was fortunate that I landed a 30 hour a week um, job at USC Upstate um, working with students on leadership and service programs. So I kind of went back to my programming roots, which was fun. Um, And then in December of this year, Um, I started my transition out of higher education after 43 years, Um, I took the position as the executive director of a small nonprofit in Spartanburg, um, and we do um, home repairs for the elderly disabled and economically disadvantaged. So this semester I've worked 10 hours um, at USC upstate kind of transitioning out and making sure my students weren't kind of left um, hanging halfway through the year. But I will soon in the next month be um, exiting higher education. So it's with, you know, mixed emotions, certainly. But um, my new experience is also providing me lots of new challenges and experiences. So I'm grateful for that.
5: We're never letting you get away. Okay,
4: (laughs) you got to promise. You got to promise because I'm a little bit, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings.
0: (laughs) Ellen, what about you? So
2: I um went to college at uh, Tennessee Tech University with a degree in business um, and was a department tr- uh, store trainee, uh, uh, moved to Maryland for the first time uh, doing that. And then um, I had a mentor that invited me to come back and be her graduate student. And I worked with orientation sororities and I got my master's in counseling and I committed people for a living for a while uh, to to keep, you know help them be um, safe and get the care that they needed uh, in a 13-county area. Until I got that opportunity at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga by Rocky Reniason, who was a Saxa, I think, uh, uh, maybe not a founder, but close to founding, you know, really leading who this organization would become. And so I was an assistant dean. I was hired because they needed a woman. I was the only woman on staff and spent 10 years there. And I was underqualified when I went in. So um, I got my doctorate at the University of Tennessee, and um, the state of Tennessee paid for my doctorate, which is so gracious of them, and I have used it well, I think, um, and um, after 10 years there, I went to Salisbury University as the vice president, and then Old Dominion University, um, and then came out here to Cal State San Marcos to be president out here, um, really, um getting to live a passion around social mobility for our students and um, all the great things uh, we can do to open up higher education um, to more people and to help them live great fulfilling lives upon graduation.
0: Wonderful. And your comments actually lead to the last question before we get to our our content for today. Deb, if you would start Who have been some, uh, we always talk about how student affairs is small and everybody knows everyone or they know somebody who knows the same people. So who have been some of your mentors or some people who have sort of helped guide you through your career?
4: Well, actually, two of my best professional and personal friends are on this call, Alan and Tony. Um, We got to know each other through Saxa. Um, and they have just been instrumental in, in supporting me and helping to guide me into giving me ideas and support and so forth. And so I'm, I will be eternally grateful to the two of them. But there's not anybody on this call who hasn't influenced me in some way. Melissa was the, the president of SACSA two years before me. She was always an inspiration. I always looked up to her. She allowed me the opportunity to be the strategic planning chair her year. And so it allowed me to get more involved in Saxa, which could possibly have led to my nomination for president a couple of years later. So I appreciate that very much. Um, Matt, you know, Matt was I know he wasn't able to make the call, but um, Matt, the year I was president, he saved me in so many ways because he knew technology and my technology knowledge is about zero. And so Um, We had actually had an issue um, that year with only having 200 members left. And we were trying to figure out what in the world was happening. And I figured out that folks were not getting reminder emails that their um, memberships were expiring. And so Matt figured it all out. So Matt played a major role in helping to save Saxa, you know, the year that we, um, that I happened to be president. So he um, was really great, um, a great partner as well. Kristen maybe came on a little bit later, but I think she has some skills that are related to Matt's skills. And even though most of my work with Kristen came through Tony, you know, she also um, provided a great deal of guidance. I'm one, I'm I'm the oldest one on this call. I feel certain of that. Um, And I've never believed that mentors um, have to be older than you or people who have more experience than you. Um, I have learned so much from colleagues, from from my staff, from, you know, anyone who has, You know, particular skill set or personality traits or whatever that that I can learn from. So that's a long answer, but um, I did want to just kind of make the point that um, anybody can be a mentor
0: and a guide to to anyone. Wonderful, thank you for that, Ellen. You mentioned a couple of people. Are you want to say more about them, or are there others you might like to highlight?
2: Well, certainly. I I think um, I have to
0: echo Deb
2: and. Uh, this uh, uh, podcast Zoom uh, uh, square or rectangle as it is on my (laughs) screen, Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Deb and Tony and I, we uh, held hands together and walked through the SACS experience. And, you know, what Deb is um, portraying is, you know, they they each uh, brought so many skills that I didn't have um, and uh, helped me also learn patience some days when I didn't have that as well. Um, but but the um, special teamwork there uh, really was magical. And I still learned so much uh, from um, Deb and Tony. And I remember uh, uh, very much echoing on what Deb said. I remember, Melissa. I had become the local arrangements chair for Saxa in, in Chattanooga. And it was in Myrtle Beach. And I went down and met Melissa, I think, for the first time. And she taught me how to be local arrangements. She wasn't the local arrangements chair, but she was running things for sure i think she was registration chair or something like that and um she uh, helped me and a colleague i brought with me and um and helped us really grow uh into saxa and went to what we needed to do to make sure that the conference was successful next year and, and kristen has always uh, been there ready to go ready to help ready with good ideas keeping it organized and keeping it running so i have learned tremendous amount here i also would say as i think about saxa i have to give uh, voice to Jane Adams Dunford who I think brought me in the very first time when I uh, was the shy one sitting in the corner and um, I had met her already through our athletic conference and she pulled me in. she w- she had a whole group around her that she knew and could spend all her time with and um, she you know made sure that I was connected and involved and in the moment and uh Uh, we uh, did the uh, conference together in Chattanooga. So she is a special one. Uh, But, you know, just when you think about people helping in the careers, I've um, I've had time to uh, reflect and and especially in this year, I, I mean, I think about a woman in college named Betty Salters, who was one of the few female administrators at the time that pulled me back in to be her graduate assistant and gave me one of my first public speaking jobs in an emergency when she was probably looking for someone else, you know, uh, during an orientation session. I, I do think of um, uh, Rocky Reniason and uh, Richard McDougall from UT Chattanooga. Uh, Rocky took a chance on me and Mac promoted me and they both passed away. And I think about the gift uh, that they gave me. I think about the presidents that hired me at Salisbury and ODU. Um, and, um, you know, Really helped me grow. there There's there's just so many people and too many to name. And since I've been here, um, uh, uh, I I'll just uh, I'm taking a little too long with this one, but I'll, I'll give a uh, oh, an SGA president uh, named James Armour from when I was at UT Chattanooga had a conference in San Diego. When you're in San Diego County, you catch up with people you haven't seen in a hundred years because every conference in the United States and internationally is going to land here at some point I have learned. And he uh, drove up here to the university. Uh, He went and saw the student government and visited some of the centers and we went to dinner and, and to see him and to remember what I learned from him as a leader. And I know that students have taught me more than I could ever teach. Um, But to see him and where he's where he is now with his family, his wife was the student government secretary, and uh, living in Atlanta. And get to see him. He's just one example of so many wonderful students that have allowed me to stumble and learn and grow with them.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Melissa, what about you? You know, I snuck
3: in a few names earlier because I realized his question said two to three, and I was like, well, I'm gonna talk about some people <laughs> before that. And then I get to add more later. So I was sneaky. Uh, but I don't think it, it hurts to repeat Tony Coppin, uh, Melanie McClellan. Um, I mean, truly Diane Cooper, uh, Merrily Dunn uh, from both a faculty perspective in terms of, um, again, seeing something in me that I had no idea was was even possible is why I'm able to stand at this desk because I'm standing because yesterday I learned that sitting is like napping and like deadly so anyway I got a standing desk because somebody said I should anyway I'm standing here because of all of those wonderful people who invested in me even before I knew a thing about Asaxa um Certainly working with Ellen and and Deb in so many different ways with the association, I got to learn as a newer professional sort of how do you how does one exist in this student affairs space, but also how does one um, project confidence while also remaining very humble. And I think about Ellen and Deb and their leadership styles and the way that they continue to to uplift others, even when they don't know that some of us are still watching. So, so much appreciation to to all of you. I would probably also add, as, as Ellen did, Jane Adams Dumford. I remember attending my first conference and Jane reminded me of the proper attire for a conference, which should signal to you that I was not wearing the appropriate attire at the time, but she was also very gentle as Jane. Anybody that knows Jane knows that she can be in a very caring and loving way. And still to this day, she is someone that I look to, not just for style, right? I still consult with her in that space too, but but also as someone who just genuinely cares for who you are as a human. Um, And and for me, praying for me, being supportive of me, even from long distance, um, truly does make a difference. Um, I can't not talk about Joe Buck and Bob Glenn. Um, particularly as I was president of Saxa and Joe Buck would email me all the time about the conference registration numbers, things that he loved and did not enjoy. Um, but he always did it in a way that said, I care about you as a person, and I care about this association. And I think I can do both of those simultaneously. And I think I can do those things and and have constructive, supportive conversations with you in a way that helps you grow and also um, maintains the importance of Saxa because it meant so much to him. Um, Bob Glenn is still somebody that I call. Um, He is a part of my kitchen cabinet. If I want it straight, I ask Bob. If I don't want it straight, I don't ask Bob. Um, but even when I haven't seen him for years, it can be years, he will reach out to me on Facebook and he'll say, hey, little sister, uh, what are you up to? You know, and and those kinds of outreach are just and they always come right on time, which is even more interesting to me. Um, I'm like, you know what? Things are not awesome. Can we just talk about this on Facebook? And like, give me a call or whenever he's going to be in and near a near city, you know, can we get together that kind of mentorship? And it's not always about an issue at work. It could just be about life. These are people that for the past 27 years have been staples in my career, Um, along with the students that have taught me so much about who I am, who I could be, um, because we don't always have it fully together, right? We don't, but they can bring out the best in us and they see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. I've been working with student body presidents now for 13 years. And so I get to watch them live in their moment And then go out into the world, most of them are now in DC, uh, living their best lives, living lives far better. I mean, just living their best lives, but they never forget the lessons that they learned. And they never forget the people that helped walk them through some of those lessons. And I feel very fortunate to have been a part of of so many students' um, lives in that way. I'm sure I'm forgetting people. I'll come back. I'll sneak in a few more later. There you go. Or they'll let you
0: know when this airs. Hey, exactly right. Michelle, you just schedule with me. We'll do a follow-up. So perfect. Okay. So you all have alluded to this a little bit. um, But can you talk about how and why you first got involved with sex? I also feel like listening to your stories, there's probably a who in there as well. Um, And then again, you've touched on this, but what has the role of the organization been for you in your career, um, to your last comment, Melissa, not just career, life more broadly? Um, and at this point, whoever would like to start, if, if you would just talk about your Saxa connection and its meaning for you.
4: So, um, Michelle, that's why you you put us in a queue before, right?
0: So we wouldn't stare at each other. <laughs> You'll get it. It just takes a minute.
4: Yes. Um, so I moved to from Ohio to South Carolina in 1993 in my new position, and so obviously it was the first time I was I was in the region. And somebody um, at my new place of employment said, "Hey, you ought to check out Saxa." So I did that very first year, and I think since then. I've missed two conferences, so that's like almost 28 years, and so I was kind of hooked um, once I started coming to Saxa. and I have over my career occasionally gone to the big conferences, you know, NASPA, ECPA, that kind of thing, but those are few and far between because I've always preferred Saxa. Um, I believe that um, uh, you know, the the principles that Saxa was founded on resonate with me. The size of the organization resonates with me, and just the relationships that I have built um, have really just kind of kept me going professionally. Honestly, for probably the first 10 years, I just came to conferences and went home. I wasn't involved at all. And then by chance, one day I happened to be in the elevator with Dick Franklin and a couple other Saxa members, and I said, I really just need to start getting involved. So a month later, I got a call from Dick Franklin, who was the president, saying, hey, would you like to be local arrangements chair? And so then that started my, you know, I kind of jumped in with both feet, local arrangements chair um, back at the time when there was not a, a conference chair, there was just a local arrangements and a program chair. So um, it was, it was um, quite, a, quite a big lift for somebody who had not been involved in the organization, but it led to other opportunities. And so I have always been appreciative of Dick's willingness to take a chance on somebody who hadn't been involved in SACSA and um, asking me to serve in that role.
3: Well, I alluded to it earlier, I do whatever people tell me to do. And and that um, is that rings true for my involvement in uh, professional association. I think it's just really important for me to restate again, as a first generation college graduate, who had a plan of working in television, not a plan of working in higher ed and student affairs. I had no clue that and it was three or four years before I recognized that I'm actually in a professional space. It was admissions for me. It wasn't admissions as a part of student affairs. Educational talent search was a part of the trio programs, not that it was a part of student affairs, right? Um, And working in the Multicultural and International Center at Georgia Southern University, that was a job. And that's where I first met Melanie. And then she said, this is a profession. So I didn't I didn't come into this with any knowledge or awareness about even the importance of professional organizations. That really happened for me when I got to Clemson and I was enrolled in the program. And a part of being in the program is you're going to be involved professionally. And so I'm not going to say it was Tony, but it was maybe somebody that looked like Tony who said, you need to get involved in, in the professional association and Althea Richardson, who was a director at the time had not been involved. I don't think in Saxa, but supported my involvement in, in Saxa. And again, I really do listen to what people tell me to do. And so I did it and I have not looked back. Um, I, I attribute every part of who I am as a professional to Saxa. Much like Deb, I certainly attend and engage and am involved at the national level at both ACPA and also um, with NASPA. But at the end of the day, what do I call my professional home? Even though I'm in the Midwest and I've been in the Midwest since 2017, Saxa is the place. Whenever Saxa calls, I have not said no yet. Um, Even since I've been here. Uh, I just don't. And so I I can't um even put into words how impactful this organization has been for me. It believed in me when I did not believe in myself. And I was surrounded by people who cared about me as a person, who valued my identities, who supported those identities, um, and supported my questions that most people had the answers to or knew or they just didn't have the courage to ask. They created spaces for me to be able to do that and to feel safe and comfortable to do that. And I think that's probably why I still have such an affinity to Saxa to this day. So,
2: um, you know, I I, uh, I got involved. I think I said a little bit about it earlier, you know, when um, I really got involved when Saxa was coming to Chattanooga and Lisa Bardell, who is the new president, needed a local arrangements chair and she teamed up uh, Jane Adams Dunford, the program chair and I, and the three of us became a trio. And that's where I, I really learned about it. Um, I have to, you know, credit uh, Charles Renison for getting me involved uh, or, or getting, helping me know what saxa was or that it existed. Uh, um, and that um, he was very involved and quite a leader, but I, I, I never really had the opportunity in the same way to participate early on, um, uh, you know, as, as we were working through. I, I went to one conference, uh, and it was right after uh, 9-11, and it was a very small conference, and it connected a little bit. And then the next time I, w- I was really back was the conference before, in Biloxi, before um, Chattanooga. So I got involved literally all at once, a bit like Deb uh, coming in and really learning the passion, the structure, the culture. And I think it's a testament that you can join at any time. There's so many. Now we have undergraduate programs, graduate programs, you know, so many ways for people to come in early. But uh, I think to Deb's point, you can move here as a vice president from another region. And and, well, here I live in California. (laughs) You can move to the southeast from another region. (laughs) Uh, And and so, uh, you know, that that really um, put me on a, a trajectory with the conference and then you know, I I was in Maryland, which wasn't a state that was as involved in Saxa, and but I, you know, I stayed connected, but I really got involved again, again, as a local arrangements chair when the conference came to Norfolk or conference chair at the time. And Deb asked me to do that uh uh when she was out there looking at the hotel and I think at an ASPA meeting out there. Um, so that really connected me again. So when I jumped in, it was with both feet um and really not of my own uh like everyone said not of my own uh 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 seeking it out um it was literally accidents of geography that gave me the gift of Saxa
5: it's ironic as I listen to you all talk about the listen and hear you talk about the impact that it had both personally and professionally that stays with me it's not just the professional it's the personal as well um you know y'all were presidents in very different times uh, i guess i would wonder what 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 were the challenges for you when you were president if you remember that i mean i know it's been a while for for some of us but what 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 were what were the things of causing the organization to change or move forward or uh, just that we needed to address
2: um If it's okay, I'm going to jump in first, even though I just spoke, because I'm going to have to slip out a little bit early, because being the president of the university means sometimes things come up that you just can't, well, being a vice president (laughs) of student affairs probably means that even more, but today, uh, that's going to be my story, so I'm going to have to slip out a little early, so I'm going to get started with that one in case uh, we run out of time. I think this might be my last time, and you know, when I became president-elect, and it was uh, I think about three years after probably Melissa had been president and and Deb was the president and I was the conference chair and I uh, really was not going to be the president. And I it was at a moment in time where Saxa uh, was <laughs> kind of like that first time I became a public speaker in college. It was you know, one of those moments where somebody was needed. Um, and um, I, I was the one that came into the moment uh, at that time. And, and I it was a scary time, and I think it goes along with, you know, the fact that it's such an important volunteer organization that has had probably, um, it is as stable as we are in our leadership and membership. And so when we go through a recession or a world crisis, I remember going to the conference after 9-11, and I... I, I I think that was a moment for for the association that I fully didn't understand that uh, Joe Buck and others, you know, worked hard to make sure that this this organization was sustainable, this this moment of love. and and I was sitting at a midyear meeting as president elect, probably stealing a little bit of Deb's story going first. So I apologize, Deb and understanding what she said earlier is that we had 200 members. And not understanding that it was only because of an electronic issue that we only had 200 members, but we had 200 members. And where we were, you know, we were coming off the, the Great Recession and what this meant for our organization uh, and, and that we had to think about things differently or do things differently. I remember sitting there thinking, I do not want to be the president that takes this gift, this precious gift, Uh, and, and, and possibly takes it to its end. And uh, so Tony working with you and Deb, I mean, uh, as you became the president elect and and Deb was the president, you know, we were kind of uh, a trio in following one after another. It was a total focus around uh, sustainability and membership. And so I nauseated people with that. I mean, and uh, I was an enrollment manager. So I came in as I was president-elect with um, uh, an enrollment funnel for Saxa, and um, I took the mid-year meeting and made a spreadsheet of uh, everybody, what everybody was going to do, and I kept that spreadsheet in every meeting, um, and I learned how, uh, that you know the love really was going to sustain us, the love and hard work, and going back to understanding in that moment the people that had come before me the people such as Melissa that had come before me the presidents that had come before me Deb and Melissa the um the Joe Buck who Melissa referred to the people that had given to this labor of love and you know what I I think I I I did bring through to it that enrollment lens and while Deb was bringing through literally counting who had, renewed their membership working with Matt Varga and and Tony uh, bringing in that he helped you helped me with the journal and he, and uh, making sure the journal you know you made sure the journal was sustainable everybody bringing their own talents and pushing hard forward um, to make sure that that this organization uh, was going to thrive and I'm going to steal a little bit of Tony's thunder and by the time we hit Greenville with the conference that Tony was in our, our membership had broken its record of all-time high in that, uh, through that work. So so I think being president of SACSA and working with that executive team was probably one of the greatest um, gems of my career. And uh, part of that, the EC at the time, everyone on it was such a special human and individual. And the team uh, that went forward, I just had so much gratitude. I also had gratitude for the wonderful folks. One of them is the president-elect right now, Don Stansbury at Old Dominion, who who came in uh, uh, and and so many folks I worked with there, Jane Danae, who then became a conference chair later, as well as people that had, had been in for many years like Melissa and Jane Adams Dunford and, you know, really everybody putting so much behind it to move it forward. I, I know that uh, at this point, uh, I think probably that is going to be my last moment with you. So I appreciate you letting me come on and ramble through my presidency there. That was a lot of fun and just appreciate being a part of this and getting to be in this special group of people. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Ellen. I hope the rest of your day goes well.
1: Me too. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, Ellen. Good to Bye-bye. see you. There, Ellen.
5: Yeah, the other thing I would add to that is, for those of you who, before Deb and uh, Melissa can share, if you didn't, if you ever listened to the the podcast with uh, Jason Cassidy and Jim Keneally about leading this organization through a pandemic Mm -hmm. and through 9-11, it is powerful. It's, I mean, we've done a lot of these, and that, to me, was the one that stuck with me, of how they led during very difficult, difficult times. Uh, It was very, very, very interesting to do that, so. Sorry, Deb and Melissa, but I want to get that oh, out there for the folks you. listening for sure.
4: So, so Ellen talked a little bit about this. Um, I was the president the year before she was, and at the time I took over the presidency, um, as I mentioned, we were down to 200 members. Our, our financial reserves were down a good bit, and I, I like to say I sounded the alarm bell, and then I had a fabulous team, including Ellen. I'm sorry she had to get off because. She was, she was the mover and shaker that made it happen. Um, she was the conference chair. And also I did ask her to be president-elect. I was asked by somebody to ask her and the person told me she's gonna say no. And I'm like, well, just let me try it. And so she agreed to be not only the conference chair but the president-elect. So she was in a dual role that year we went to Norfolk. And, and me being a new president, I was like, oh my goodness, we're going to Virginia where we had like 12 members. And I'm like, how are we gonna have a successful conference? Our numbers are down, our, our money is down. How are we gonna have a successful conference in Virginia? Well, little did I know the power of Ellen Neufeld. Um, She actually, I mean, she she like got the whole state to come just about. I mean, it was our numbers, our Virginia numbers were um, you know off the charts and she got every single person I think who works at Old Dominion involved in the conference planning. And so it was It was just a tremendous experience. We um, increased our numbers, not only because of the, you know, catching the little electronic glitch that we had, but because of all the new members that were attracted in the Virginia region, um, that it really made a huge difference. She also, um, Change or suggested a new way of us approaching the conference. She was the first group, I believe, where we actually had the um the major opening session on a college campus sponsored and paid completely for by the campus or the campus food service provider. And at the time that saved us so much money. And I understand that now we're getting back to an issue that we're not always going to have that luxury but we had that for probably at least 6-8 years after um she initiated that in Norfolk and i really believe that that has contributed to the success of our financial picture and a reason why we were able to put some money away and be in a more stable situation so that we do have you know more minor fluctuations from year to year it's not it's not the um it's not necessary for us to, you know, ring the huge alarm bell again, but know that we have some money in reserve that we could could use if we had to, if there was another, um, you know, national situation that had to be managed.
5: Tony, you're muted. And what I think I remember about you, Deb, was you had to make some really hard decisions and then stick to them. I mean, financially we were struggling. And so for example, y'all, the joke is Deb told us all we couldn't check our luggage when we flew to the mid-year meeting. Y'all can carry your luggage. You can't spend $25. And she did it with grace and humor. Um, but it was we were at that we were at that point of and you had to stick to that. And that probably wasn't easy to do uh with that. So I remember your your willingness to take on the hard decisions and then follow through with the hard decisions to say this organization's life depends on that. Uh so I appreciate that that very much for you. So
4: thank you, Tony. Right. And, and I do, I do still get people um joking with me about that. Just to clarify, it was one overnight. <laughs> so they only had to have an outfit for the next day.
5: <laughs> and I believe my comment was, you're asking a gay man to only bring him one pair of shoes. I mean <laughs> And then it went downhill from there. That's right. There we go. There we go. <laughs> okay, Melissa, now to you. <laughs> I don't even know how to follow that, which is typical in
3: our relationship, Tony. I typically am like, I don't even know what to say. So I'm just going to make a super hard pivot to just sort of reflecting of what it was like um, during my, my presidency. I remember being really excited because it was going to be in Atlanta. And there was a lot of pressure around that because the expectation is that that would be one of the largest conferences that we had because historically it had been a very well-attended conference. And I remember I was also, I think at that point, all but dissertation, but also in a transition to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Mm -hmm. And so my... My the plan that I had in my head about how things would just work. Um, and it's funny, I was looking at my goals document in preparation for this that I had to submit to Joe, because you know, you have to submit all your goals, what your budget was going to be. Did you really need to have that dinner at that thing? And um, there's an email where Joe says, Do we really need that? And but I also remember I'd outlined for myself, um, overseeing the successful implementation of various aspects of our strategic plan. Um, We were providing direction around this CSAJ. The editorial board was also in transition during this time. I thought it was a good idea to oversee the and have a a sort of overhaul of the whole website because that seemed super important then. Um, and, And also at the same time, focusing on a membership campaign, all while in transition and also trying to um, think about how do we get people excited about Atlanta, a place that means so much to me, but how do we make sure that we are continuing to bring in newer professionals, making sure that the cost was not prohibitive for graduate students, because Saxa has been one of the only organizations, and, and I mean this sincerely, that has made a concerted effort to think about our graduate and our new professionals when it comes to everything that we do. Do we need to add this meal? We know it's going to add to the budget, but we also know that graduate students may not be able to financially afford a meal in Atlanta or whatever city we were in. And so it was really important for me that we're still able to bring in all the right pieces and at the same time have a conference that um, was successful and success being based not just on the numbers, but the type of experience that people had. And I remember thinking, working with Tanisha and so many, Lekisa, I mean, so many people that helped to work on the preparation for that conference. And I think, Deb, did you follow me or did Roland follow me? Roland followed you. Roland followed me. And so he was super involved. We were also doing elevating the numbers for the mid managers and the new professional Institutes, of which I'd served as program directors at some point, either before or right after that, Saxa has maintained its incredible commitment to graduate and professional students and newer professionals while still creating space enough for all of us more senior people to still feel like it's our association it's our conference and i don't think that that is just one president's effort i think that that's us remaining super focused on the vision and the mission and joe buck always reminded every single one of us of what the mission is the why of saxa And so in our roles as presidents, we were being gifted the responsibility to maintain and to hoist this organization, to to make sure that this organization remained so central to the student affairs, scholar, practitioner experience. And there was something very heavy about that kind of responsibility, but there was also a lot of joy because everybody that was around that table for SACSA wanted to be there nobody felt like it was another job. Our our love for what Saxa means and what Saxa brings to people was evident. That's why nobody could get offended, right? When Deb was like, don't check any bags. You better just figure out how to get it on that plane and call it good um, or buy stuff when you get here, right? Nobody took offense when we had to make hard decisions, Everybody understood why we needed to make those decisions, and we all galvanized and got behind it and pushed through. That's why Saxa is exactly where it is today, is because of dedicated professionals who understand the importance and the impact of what that association means to people. And I, and, and I hope that those that are listening to this, if they are not sold on Saxa yet, they should be. I still meet people today who say, I remember meeting you at Saxa. And I remember saying, what year was that? Because that's where I am in my life. When was, when was that? What room were we in? <laughs> like, bring it all the way back for me. But they can remember those moments that are small to us, maybe even perceived as insignificant to us, but huge to them. That's what I remember about being responsible for the Atlanta conference and collaboration with so many people and the attendees, they're the ones that make this association who and what we are um, without question.
1: Melissa, I love what you just shared. And and I describe like when I'm talking with graduate students in our program or colleagues about as they're trying to navigate, where is my professional home? Or I get to attend one conference this year, what should it be? And I say like, not only is Saxon in my professional home, but it's like the Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's not too big. It's not too small. It's not too long. It's not too short. But I think there's something that what you just said of because of the size of it and who is there, there is a level of intimacy and access to a community That a lot of other spaces don't have and the flexibility of, I I think we're probably coming back to a time of you better be a generalist at heart and and be able to be nimble. And Saxa provides access for that and to learn and to do those informational interviews and, and have a network and all of that. So that's something I always describe and think that something special but I think the other is we all know it's Saxa time and we all know it's the Saxa family. You know, good evening, Saxa family. It doesn't matter who's up at the mic, most likely, whatever time of day, Saxa family is going to follow. But I think it's through um, previous um, leadership transitions and during these difficult times that. We get to benefit from that because, you know, and and we're probably coming out of a challenging time and we're navigating. We know contracts are changing. We know all of that very well. And times of the week that we can have our conferences and minimums that we have to hit. We're at a challenging time, but I've just looked over the last several years and go, My goodness, I'm so glad that the undergrads and grads get to be in this ballroom right now, that they get to be in this space right now because they get to see people who are genuinely committed to the profession and each other as individuals. Because in hearing your stories, it's the relationships that sounds like it got you through the tough time. You can have the tough conversations. And the irony is you didn't work together all day, every day at the same campus. Like, I, I just think that is a phenomenal thing thinking about this.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, again, I think about my transitions and I think about the number of people that I would consult with about how can I do this? Is it even possible to do this? Um, And, and the people within Saxa that didn't miss a beat. Yes, absolutely. And Joe Buck uh, he's going to think I'm, I'm not paying Joe Buck. He's not paying me to say any of these things, but he, he was that person when you were served in the presidency The person that I talked to probably every day was Joe Buck, not just because he was the money person, but because of his knowledge and experience. And he could see things far better than I could because he also had a historical knowledge. And he would always say, it's really not that big. And I would say, it is huge. I'm not sure how you don't think this is big. But it was that kind of little nugget, right, that brought you back to, okay, it's actually not that big, and you can still do this because it's Saxa, and quite frankly, because of the relationships that you have with people and the grace that people give you. Mm -hmm. There's something about being a part of a family that hopefully provides that, without question, it does in Saxa, without question.
5: I I I miss it. And I think I would hope that goes back to our core values. If you go back to our core values and our mission and our founding, you know, uh, collegiality, collaboration—all those words—we live those words. Those words. <laughs> They're not just words on a website that could get lost. So, to me, I hope I hope we do that and continue to do that.
3: And Tony, I would say not, but and every organization has a values statement and a mission statement. And they have those. But there's something special yeah. about how it's actually operationalized in Saxa that's just different. Right. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but all organizations have that.
5: Well but, and I think and I think there are a lot of big examples of that. I mean yeah. you know, Kristen is now the historian and I was a historian before, but Saxa had a person of color and a woman president before any other major organization. Right,
3: and invited and allowed Black people in particular
5: yeah. to be a part of the association. Yeah, so it's- wow. it, in, the, is, South. Yeah, in that's, the South, in the South. That's the mission coming to life and the yeah. and yeah. living your values coming to life. Yeah, what a- Just special.
1: And I think almost ironically, like I've gotten to dig into the dissertations and read them and pull out nuggets for each month's sex alert. So I've gotten to learn more. But almost you don't have to read it. That if you are sitting in a meeting, you you feel all of those tenets being lived in the questions asked in the priorities made in the allocations. Like whatever it is, it is those tenets are driving every decision that we make to have an experience in a family that is providing something that I would say few other associations are able to do.
5: And back to Melissa's point, it all started with a grad student who had an idea.
1: Sent out some (laughs) postcards.
0: (laughs) Well, and I think it's really powerful too that, so Melissa, you talked about the Atlanta conference. We're about to go back to Atlanta. (laughs) You gave the keynote last year. I was sitting with grad students when you were speaking and they left that, right? This is night one. They just got there. They left that going we got to make sure that we go next year. I mean, they hadn't even had the conference yet, but they felt so sure of what they were going to have based on that first night, based on how people treated them as they were choosing their seats, you know? And and every organization I've ever been a part of, they say, hey, if you want to get involved, just let someone know. Saxa is the only organization i can think of that really means that i mean you all gave examples it's like yeah i said i was interested and then i was the local arrangements chair the next year you know and it um it really is i wish we could learn what it is to your point melissa of i i don't i can't quite put my finger on it but it it's about the people Right. It is about the people. So there are a lot of organizations that people move up, they lead the organization and they're still around, but they're just hanging around talking to their friends. They're not still actively contributing and engaging. And I mean, I've seen so many conversations where someone is sitting off to the side or by themselves at SAC said that's not going to last for very long. You know, somebody is going to sit down, talk to you, join you at a table for a meal. And, um, and I don't like conferences. So, I mean, when Tony told me sex is different, I'm like, whatever, Tony, everybody says that about their organization, but um, it's the one conference I really get excited about going to, because I know there is a comfort and there's a sense of belonging there that, you just don't experience in other spaces. So I I feel like you've answered all of my questions. I don't want to stop the conversation, but Tony and Kristen, are there other things that you can think
5: of? Um, I think for me, the, the last thing I'd love to hear their perspective on is what's your hope for the future for Saxa? What do you, what do you hope happens now? You all laid groundwork. You gave a great foundation. You gave a lot of your time, energy, talent, um and great work is continuing but as you if you had a crystal ball <laughs> what do you what do you hope for the future of Saxa?
1: And how do we how do we keep this going <laughs> how, how do we not how do you not have to have the tough times in order to have the closeness and and that feeling of family how do we capture that magic in a bottle and make sure it continues to sustain and give
3: Well, and I think that's going to be one of the challenges. I think as organizations, particularly as we come into more of endemic status, um, I think that people are still working really hard to recover. And what I mean by that is emotionally recover, um, financially recover. Organizations are thinking more critically about how do we get to pre-pandemic numbers? How do we get to, and some of that means increasing cost. Um, which could directly impact attendance, right? Because inflation has just gone through the roof and people have to make bottom lines and, and, and also make money. My hope is that we don't try to do anything different other than be exactly who we are. While there may be other associations doing other things to try and attract people, I hope that we will remain so committed to our core mission and our core values, because it's clear to me, that's what makes Saxa different. It's not if I get, and y'all do know, I love a good conference meal, but I, I'm okay if there's not a chicken dinner on Saturday night. I'm actually quite pleased because i now get to go and hang out with tony and with kristen and with deb at a restaurant that's maybe more aligned with my price point um and and i can do that where um does that make sense so i i worry that my fear is always and again i'm a part of other organizations and we're constantly talking about the competitive nature of wanting to maintain our numbers, wanting to make sure that our budgets, and we will, but what makes SACS special is what brings people to that conference and want to remain in that association. I hope that we will stay with our true north in terms of who we are, but I also hope that when people attend this conference or engage in our association, they see an innovative organization That is keeping up with what it means now to be a student affairs scholar practitioner. That we are thinking about the new needs of professionals coming into this field, and that we will adapt our old way. And I'm pointing at me for all of our listeners, I'm pointing at me 26, 27 years. They are the future. And how do we make sure that we're creating enough space in those conferences? that allows us to hear them and what they need, and then allows us as those that are administrators, decision makers on our campus, to be committed to the ongoing growth and development of our teams back on our campuses and supporting them in this type of continuous professional development. If we don't do that, I worry that we can start to, we will start to lose people. Saxa's figured it out. I don't know that it took a lot of, you know, people working behind the scenes trying to figure out what's the algorithm for what time do they read the email? Like, I don't know. I don't do that. But like I'm just hoping somebody comes cuz they want to like me. Right? Like I don't know, but like how do we maintain it's just Saxa? Like I, I I I just hope we don't move so far away and try to become something different. Yeah, and I think
5: Melissa, I think your point is a good one because I think um, the rising cost of many things is forcing us to figure out what what could we let go in terms of a meal or a but still have the interaction and the sense of belonging and the sense of care and support that it's probably not the meal because if you're at a meal, you you're not interacting with a whole lot of people. So how do we do that? And you know cuz as our industry costs have gone up, so has the service world gone up. I mean, our AV costs are unbelievable. People would be shocked to know the AV cost in Atlanta. It's $46,000 just for the record. Um so so I think we're as a board, they're really going to have to struggle with that of what might we have to get rid of but yet not lose the spirit. Of belonging and care and uh, intergenerational conversations that occur. Uh, So I'm right there with you, right there with you.
4: Well, it's hard to follow the two of them. I think all their points were excellent. Um, I do. I am still a little concerned with um, campus budgets and being able to support um, staff members attendance at more than one conference. And unfortunately, sometimes folks choose to go to the one of the big conferences instead of Saxa if they only get to go to one, which is unfortunate um, because I really think that Saxa has so much more to offer. I think that will be continue to be a struggle for us and something that we need to continue to work on. But as Melissa said, you know, those who really have a heart for Saxa, I don't think it'll be a it'll be, be a question. But those who maybe have never experienced Saxa, those who are coming up in the profession, who maybe, you know, their advisors on campus are saying, Oh, you need to go to NASPA or ACPA. Um, I think we need to get them here the first time. And then hopefully, like so many of us, they'll be hooked and they'll say, No, next year I really just want to go to Saxa. Uh, one of the questions that um was on the original sheet was about um, you know, changes that I've seen or we've seen in our time. And I do think that Saxa has. While well, Saxa in my time has always been very cognizant, I think, of new professionals. Um, I think we have, have focused even more on graduate students, new professionals, undergraduate students in getting people in the pipeline in the you know, I don't know, how many years? 10, 15, you know, when you had so many years, this may you don't even remember anymore what the timeline is. But I think Saxa has done a wonderful job of trying to to nurture and build that pipeline, which I think, you know, eventually will just be, you know, maybe, I won't say something that saves us, because I don't think we're in jeopardy, but you know, will something that, you know, will continue our pipeline, and I think that is great. I think SACS has also tried to um, have programs for specific groups. A number of years ago, I was responsible for trying to get more senior student affairs officers there, and so we did a senior student affairs officer summit. And, you know, I guess a year ago, there were like over 40 people there. And the first year, I think we had 10. So I do think um, that being innovative, as Melissa said, um, but not leaving our core um, principles um, is, is I guess, something that we need to continue to do, not be afraid to make some changes if we think that it's going to, to serve us in the long run, as long as we're sticking with our, our primary principles.
1: I love what you both shared and Melissa, going back to the book that you read around the concept of loneliness, where Saxa can be a, a helpful agent in that and and help um, people have that network and the I need to talk to someone who's not on my or not at my institution, who's too close to it, who, you know, and be able to provide that in perspective again, across functional areas and and, and across pieces. And Deb, to your point about the pipeline and realizing that during everyone's modified operations, the organic conversations that were happening in hallways or somebody that just, the student that comes in and flops down on a couch and then all of a sudden this amazing, that all went away. You know, when you log in and out of Zoom or Teams or whatever platform your campus was using, a lot of that is happening. So between those two things and being able to articulate that, that this is a genuine community, Um, could go a long way for us sustaining who we are, how we were founded, who we should continue to be. It's more of just figuring out some of the minor logistics um, that can kind of help out with that. But it can go a long way to helping out with some of that loneliness. Mm -hmm.
0: I think about, uh, Melissa, you said earlier, being gifted the responsibility of supporting graduate students and newer professionals. And again i just don't feel like that's the way most organizations function there can be so much more ego in terms of people moving into leadership roles and you know just think about walking through the lobby of where whatever hotel i have seen in some spaces groups close up when someone walks by that's not what happens at saxa it's like, if you walk by, exactly. If you walk by and I know you, I'm calling you over and I'm introducing you. And so, I mean, I guess the negative part is if you're trying to get somewhere, everybody's trying to call you into a conversation. It's like, I appreciate it, but I really got to go find the restroom right now. So I'll be back. But um, but that that mentality and that humility, maybe and generosity of spirit it again it sounds if you haven't been there it sounds like we're making this up it just sounds like yeah I just don't like like my response to Tony I I trusted him I just didn't think he knew me well enough to know how much I don't like conferences but it isn't it isn't a conference it's a reunion is what it is and if it's your first time at the reunion you're connected in some way and you are going to be a part of you're going to be in the middle of that reunion within the first six hours that you check in after you check into the hotel so um yeah i agree we don't care about we don't care about titles right right
3: it, it literally doesn't matter. I would be just fine going to a conference without a name tag, quite yeah. frankly. And then all the ribbons and all the decor, like, okay. but but there, if you're at the Saxa Conference, your family, whether it's your first visit or your fiftieth, we don't ask questions. Like we We just assume. Right, that you've made the decision to be here. We never asked, did you come kicking or screaming or did you come? We don't, we don't get into that, right? We don't always need to know the whole backstory, right? About how you got there, but you're there. And so you're a part of the family. And that to me is what it's about. Becoming the president of Saxa, there was a lot of weight to that. Not because it was this awesome title. It was, I don't want to mess this up. This is something I care deeply. This organization has literally made me who I am. And they have entrusted me to do something I have never done before. Who does that? Saxa does that. Saxa did that. And so you wanted it to go well, not because you were the president. That wasn't it. Because you want better for the association because it's something you care deeply about. That was the motivation. Michelle, you talked about, no, it wasn't about the egos. That wasn't it. It was, I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to invest in the same way that I was invested in. Wow. If that doesn't motivate you to want to do good work, I don't know what will. Right. Like I, I don't know, but it's what a just, what an
0: honor. What an honor. Well, when you said that Joe kept telling you, it's not that big. It's not about the size. It's about the weight because it's a heavy responsibility because of what the organization has given like you said you don't want to mess it up so you
3: don't want to mess yeah. it up
0: and and most
3: of us are pretty type a personality people so there was also like structure is required and right we need to be organized tony was the most difficult to rein in i'm just kidding but 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 it was you felt yeah i've been given this gift and I'm going to love this gift. I'm going to keep investing in this gift. I'm going to make sure it's the best it can be for everybody that comes behind me. Because I want everybody to know how special this association.
1: And to have part of the gift for themselves are. too. Because yeah. they know what it gave to us. And to go, yes. I want a professional out there to not have this network, this um, you know, helping to get rid of the self-doubt and the imposter syndrome and, you know, all the things like it can do yes. so much. If I don't take care of it, it can't do that for someone else. And that would just hurt too much.
3: That's right. And my nephews were little, they were th- three and five and came to that conference. Oh, I remember that. Do you remember? And they came up on the stage and sat with me and Jordan who is the three-year-old said, What are you doing up here? <laughs> I said, Missa gets to to lead this organization. How good is that? And he's, do they pay you? <laughs> no. <laughs> and he said, Oh, like he just, he, <laughs> but he got to witness yeah. his aunt lead at three, he didn't get it. But now he gets that. Right, So there was role modeling in that too. You too can do this. Don't listen to the critics. Don't even look back at the data because it will tell you you have no business being here either at this conference and certainly at this podium. There were so many things that happened during my sexy years that I am just incredibly grateful for.
0: Well, I... I don't want to stop this conversation. However, I do want to be respectful of time. Um, you all, seriously, let me know when you want to do parts two, three, and four, and <laughs> we could just make this you know every six months get together. But um, I do have one final question as we wrap up. I would love to hear from each of you, what is something that's giving you hope right now? Um, And Deb, would you be comfortable starting? Sure, are you talking about hope for the profession, hope for sex? uh? Can be either or both, whatever whatever speaking to you right now.
4: Well, I guess for me personally, after 43 years of working in higher ed, I am am exiting perhaps, um, but at least at this moment I am. And what gives me hope is that I still love my students and I still think that they have a lot on the ball and I still have faith that, you know, the world in their hands is going to be good, a good place to be. And so, you know, you can say all you want about generational differences. I mean, I still work with 18 and 19 year olds who I think are fabulous and they they don't mind being around me, you know, at least sometimes. Um, and I just think it's, it's, It's wonderful because I have faith that things will continue to go well in our world because we have such great young people. I sound like I'm 103. We have such wonderful young people coming up, but um, I do really feel that way.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Melissa, what's your hope?
3: I am hopeful. Uh, My favorite time of year is convocation and commencement. And as I approach (laughs) commencement on Sunday, next Sunday, May the 7th, I can recall so many of the challenges that those students had during their time here and what it must mean to them and their families to walk across that stage. Mm -hmm. And how honored am I to have been a part of some of their journeys to help them be able to move into the next phase of their life. I'm hopeful because they made it through some of the most challenging three years that 18 to 22-year-olds have ever had to navigate. And they did it. And they're going to have a degree from Ohio State as a testament to those efforts. Everybody may not know their whole story of how they got there, but that day is incredibly special.
0: Thank you. Um, Kristen, what about you?
1: Um, I think something kind of similar to that. Um, So I have the the privilege, one of the many other duties as assigned, you know, because it makes sense for your director of assessment to help out with the GA recruiting and selection process for the master's program, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I was so excited to be asked to do that a year and a half ago. So finishing up this second rotation, And being at the um, closing program with our candidates considering the next steps in their journeys and our current students, one of our current grads said, I really missed this and this feels like a rededication to why I'm here at Clemson, why I'm here in this profession and what I'm doing and, and everything. And I knew that something was missing when things were virtual. You know that those students who are second-year graduate students getting ready to enter the profession, Melissa, to your point about our bachelor students and you know whatnot finishing their journeys, theirs is very similar, very disrupted. And bless them, they entered this field on a hope, women of prayer, and a very strong relationship with someone because the organic stuff wasn't there. That was so incredibly cool and that they felt that they knew how to plan, as silly as it sounds, an in-person experience that had a purpose, but it also allowed them to rededicate themselves. So I know we get that feeling going back to Saxa or another you know, family reunion or whatever it happens to be. But the fact that we can even do that in our own rituals and rites of passages and the different things that we have on an annual basis and to know that those that are entering the field – are starting to have some of that in a way that it felt very different for so many years was awesome. Like, there may have been tears. It was really sunny. I was wearing sunglasses. Who knows? But that was just a a really cool thing and went, this is all worth it.
0: And Tony, what about you?
5: Yeah, mine was very much what Melissa said. Um, I was going to talk about graduation because I think it is a time of hope. Uh, And I think for me, when I think about graduation, I, I I appreciate Melissa's the struggle the students have seen, but I also think of hope that they will go out and change the communities in which they live in. That um, that they've been given a gift, and they've been given a challenge, and they've been given a almost a commitment to go out and um, you know the degree has sort of been uh, their certification, uh, but it's really a certification to go change the world. And I have hope that they will go change the world in big ways, small ways, little ways, impactful ways, whatever way, but that's what graduation is for me. It's the hope that they will have better lives, but they will also change the communities in which they work and play and live. Uh, And actually my Saxa alert letter for the next issue is on graduation, (laughs) which is ironic, uh, and about celebrating graduation and the history behind graduation.
0: Great. Well, I want to thank everyone on the call today and Ellen who had to step away um, taking time and this is another way of giving back and working to continue to sustain the organization. But there's a lot going on in the world. And so I know that time is a limited resource. And I just want to thank you all for your time today and most especially for your insights and your stories. Today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA, and we thank them for their support. Don't forget that there's still time to submit a proposal for SAXA this fall. Submissions are open until June 20th. SAXA 2023 is November 4th through 6th in Atlanta, Georgia. We welcome presentations on innovation, new solutions, research, and current trends. In addition to concurrent and poster sessions, this year, SAXA welcomes Petcha Kucha presentations. Check out the SAXA website for more details. I just want to add to that if you're listening, share this episode with two or three or four people who haven't been to SAXA or who haven't been to SAXA in a while, or undergraduate or graduate students who are trying to find their place. Um, because I really feel like this episode speaks to. The heart, the soul, the spirit, and and the energy around what this organization is about. So for people who are looking for a place to connect, to disrupt some of those patterns of loneliness, this is this was not structured as an ad for Saxa, but it's a pretty good pitch. So um, I hope I hope you can share this episode with a few people. And then finally, I would like to leave you with a quote storytelling is our obligation to the next generation. Give something of meaning to your audience by inspiring, engaging, and educating them with story. Stop marketing and start storytelling by Laura Holloway. And again, thank you to everyone. I feel like you did exactly that in this episode. My name is Michelle Botcher, and it has been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day.